There's another podcast you should be listening to, TED Health, a podcast from the TED Audio Collective. Join host Dr. Shoshana Ungerleiter as she introduces you to leading health experts and breaks down the health questions you didn't know you had. Learn more about the way your body works and the newest insights changing the medical world, like what a smart bra means for better heart health, three ways to prepare for the next pandemic, and how we can all live healthier lives. Find TED Health wherever you listen to podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Well, this is going to be... a conversation that's right up our alley. Uh, it's been a bit. It's been a bit since we had some like good quality death talk. Um, we just recently re-released uh, an old episode that's near and dear to us. Um, uh, Caitlin Dowdy. Caitlin Dowdy. Yeah, that was uh, that was some death talk we had a number of years back. But I always love talking about death. Um, I don't know if I told you, but I I'm I've signed up for my death doula training. Oh, uh, you did mention to... that you were thinking about it or that you were on the cusp of that. A no, while yeah. Ago. So fully signed up starts in the new year. Can't wait. Um, online? Gonna, uh, yep. It's going to be online. Going to do some like, you know, get into the death trade. Going to become a little bit more uh, of a pro when it comes to death and dying. Legitimately. But we're going to become even more pro today with our knowledge of death and dying because we're sitting down with Bree, Bree Smith, who is the chief operating officer um, and is responsible for overseeing all operations and services at Return Home. And uh, and Return Home is up to some really, really cool stuff if you are interested in things like death and dying, but also interested in things like keeping our planet um, alive, or at least keeping the humans on our planet alive as long as we can um, before we, <laughs> you know, trash it due to uh, uh, global warming. So, uh, Bree, first of all, thank you for joining us today. Um, I would love to hear a little bit of, uh, a, a, a little bit about who you are, how you found yourself in the death trade, but also give us a, a bit of insight into, uh, the, the good work that return home is kind of focusing all their efforts into. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for having me. That was quite the introduction. Um, just a little bit about me so that you know that I'm an authority in the space. Uh, I've been a licensed funeral professional for over a decade, and I used to be in the traditional funeral industry in the United States, at least, so uh, burial and cremation. Um, 90% of the people in the county that I live in, in Washington state are cremated. So mm. I found myself doing a lot of that. And uh, no pun intended, was incredibly burned out. And so um, I was given an opportunity to come tour Return Homes facility when it was just four white walls. Um, We are in a, for lack of a better word, warehouse in Auburn, Washington. And so I walked in, saw, you know, what was the vision to be, but ultimately the end product, which they had been doing testing on, uh, was the thing that sealed the deal for me because I saw the soil that would be returned home to families and it absolutely changed my life right in that moment. And I said, if I never do anything again, I want to push this amazing disposition alternative because I had given so many people back ashes and this mm. compost, this soil, you could see that it was something different than exists anywhere else. Yeah. So we're talking about today, really, uh, sustainable death care, um, which is really cool because, you know, I think even back to that conversation with Caitlin Dowdy, one of the things that sort of uh, struck me in that conversation was how how hard on the planet death care, traditional death care is. So whether we're talking, you know, even... even um, even when talking about the idea of like embalming a body, you know, like the chemicals that are, that are, um, that go into embalming a body for like an open casket. And then, and then you take that and you, you put it in a, in a box. And then that box just sits under the, the earth and it sits there forever for as long as it will exist under there. Um, but then when we started talking about cremation, it was like, Whoa, I always thought cremation was like sort of the, the, 
kinder decision for the earth. Um, but then it dawned on me that no, cremation is actually like uh, quite intense with uh, with with pollution. Like it's it's not really doing uh, it's not doing the <laughs> the ozone layer a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of favors. So uh, with return home, I know that you guys are doing this thing called terramation, which sounds um, sounds very interesting. I just watched a video of it recently. Um, give us, give us some insight into terramation and, 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 and also like, you know, maybe a little bit of a, um, you know, hearing from, from a professional, like how the traditional model of funeral care, um, sort of poses some problems when it comes to, uh, sustainability and, you know, the health of our planet. Yeah. So, um, you know, as far as the sustainability of traditional death care, let's just start there. Um, we don't talk a lot about the implications of what we're doing with death care because it's a hard conversation to have, I think. Yeah. I don't think everybody is as eager as you are to dive into this side of, uh, you know, what the world is and, and something that we all have in common. So to us, it's a conversation that should just absolutely be happening, but one that you have to take one step at a time. And some people are really open and some people aren't. Um, but, you know, terramation is the gentle transformation of human remains into life-giving soil. And so essentially, uh, in layman's terms, it would be called human composting or body composting. Mm. Um, we prefer to call it terramation because terra means earth and then the, you know, transformation of, and it's just a term that we think kind of softens what people might consider a different disposition that's so foreign, right? It's mm. so strange uh, when in actuality, we're just letting the body do exactly what it does in nature. We've just optimized that process. Um, I mean, and that's, and that's really what's happening. I mean, like that's what's been I mean, outside of humans anyway, and the cult and like sort of like the, the culture around burial and death and everything, um, outside, of, outside of humans, that's what's happening in, in, in some sense in every creature that, you know, ever lives and dies on this planet mm. is well, they the are, they're being returned leaves right now. Right. right. So like mm. there's leaves all over the ground and that's the same science that we're doing in our vessels. Mm -hmm. Same exact mm. thing. It's turning organic matter, um, back into the organic matter that is the earth. And it's just that cycle of life that we're continuing. Um, as a provider of the service, just, you know, I, I am a licensed embalmer. I actually got into mortuary science because I really loved restorative art, which is when mm -hmm. someone is devastated by an accident or something um, happens to them where they may not be viewable. We put people back together again so that their families can say a final goodbye um, this happens less frequently in the Pacific Northwest than I ever could have imagined. Um, and a lot of people, again, go to that direct cremation. And just as an operator, you know, the, the implications on the environment are that it takes 30 gallons of propane for each cremation. Uh, wow. the process lasts maybe two hours, two and a half hours. So it's about a 1600 degree oven. And the body breaks down really quickly. And like you said, anything that the body could give to the earth goes up the smokestack as greenhouse gas. And mm. we talk a lot about burning things being a negative, but we don't talk a lot about cremation because again, it's a tough conversation to have. Um, but not just the, the implications of the environmental impact, but also the impact on the operator. I can just say, I mean, terramation is the best thing that happened to me as a professional because mm. I'm not sure I would still be in the space. Um, you know, there's this gentle alternative that's really natural and hands-off and, and passive. And it makes those other dispositions to me feel that much more kind of invasive and fast and rough. And uh, I think it's a conversation worth having. Certainly. Mm. It, it, I'm just kind of curious about like the, the sort of culture of, of death. Um, and, you know, you were saying that uh, in the area that you live, there's, there seems to be a lot less people going down the avenue of like embalmment and, you know, open casket. Um, and, and a lot of people are focusing more on cremation. What, why do you think that is like, what is the, what, what, why do you think that the, the culture over the years has shifted away from, um, from like having our loved ones become embalmed and having open caskets to, uh, going the cremation route? 
You know, I think there's um, a couple things at play. I think certainly there's an ease behind cremation. It's it's um, hands off. I think the funeral industry that exists now has done a really good job of having the families think that they need to take over. Um, so, you know, you need us in order to fulfill this, whether it's the burial or the cremation. Right. Um, what we do at Return Home is we really question that and we question uh, the hands-off approach because we want the hands that love you in life to continue loving you in death. We believe in that. Mm. We have uh, people driven to our firm from you know places uh, like California. One of the first decedents that was ever brought to us, he had never been on a plane before. And that's how we usually bring people into our care is via airline. And we can do it to all 50 states and Canada. So we're really out there. Um, working with people, but this family couldn't bear the thought of putting him on a plane for the first time as he was passed away and he was scared of it and he never would have chosen that for himself. So she mm. drove him from oh. California. Oh, wow. Um, it was her son. And she said, you know, as a final act of love, so that, you know, that has an impact on the environment. That's 30 gallons of fuel. But the meaning behind the service, I think, is what's changed everything. Um, you said, you know, open caskets, what's taken us away from that? At Return Home, over 75% of our families come say a final goodbye to their loved one because we talk to families about how important it is to be there present if you want to be. Mm. And a lot of people see the value in, in physically being there, helping us bathe their person, um, you know, physically being there for a final goodbye, leaving little relics and things in their vessel to, you know, join them on their journey. So I don't know why we've gone this way as, as the United States just has a really hard time facing our demise, uh, you know, no matter what it is, but but to me, people actually do feel comforted by the idea of being able to be hands-on for the process. And I think that's something the traditional industry has kind of taken away from people maybe more mm. than than I would think or prefer, I guess. Mm -hmm. how, how do you, I, I like I, we've talked about, we've talked about like different burial rituals and cultures around the world. And that's always, that's, that's always been like a fascinating conversation to, to see, you know, how that has evolved and how that differs around the world in different places. And, um, and every time I feel like I hear a different way of going about the burial process or, um, um, or the, the, the death process, I, I'm, I'm always, I feel like there's, there's not one, there's not one type or one way of doing it that I've ever, that I haven't thought, Oh, maybe that, maybe that's what I want. Yeah. Like I always hear them and go, that's really interesting. Like I'm not tied to burial or, the sort of yeah. tradition, um, like, like we are broadly culturally. Um, but I wanted to ask you how, how do you go about, and we're at, we're doing it right now, but how do you broadly go about like getting the information out there to people that this is something that is, uh, something that they should consider. Um, and the reason I bring this up is because I was reading a book, uh, I was reading a book several months ago. And it was on, um, it was an investor and he was talking about this investment strategy that he has. And one of them is that he, uh, one of his like core principles is that he, he wants to invest in industries that change very slowly. Mm. And he ended up, you know, finding this, this funeral home conglomerate and everything and blah, 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 blah. And he ends up, in, 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 and he, he basically used this as like a case study for like an industry that changes very slowly. Um, and so that there's a lot of predictability behind it. And that made me think of this whenever I hear of, um, whenever I hear different ways of going about it that are against the grain of what we are really used to culturally, like burial and cremation, I think about like how, ch how challenging it can be. It must, I'm assuming it is to, to get that message out there and like, and sort of break through that, that sort of, uh, default that we go to in terms, when we think about death and how we are going to face it in, in that immediate aftermath. I am, I think just starting by saying kind people such as yourselves, having us on their platforms to be able to share the information. I mean, for us, we've had an incredible uh, social media impact, uh, specifically TikTok has really shown us that people have a lot of curiosity, um, a lot of discomfort and a lot of feelings toward burial and cremation that I had absolutely no idea were in, you know, in mass, basically people just saying, mm. 
they were uncomfortable with their death until they saw a TikTok of how gentle our process is. And, um, you know, not every composting facility does things the same right now. So everyone in the space has, you know, maybe a different mixture of organics or their process is different. Ours, we pride ourselves in our ability to be super transparent. And I think that also brings comfort is that our process is so passive and therefore we can show every single step and people take to it. You know, it's it's been incredible to see how people who couldn't even confront or face their death or they had a fear of it are brought around to a place where they're like, okay, well, at least I know that something that I feel good about exists. And so if something does happen, that much is covered. Um sharing the information it's again just a terribly challenging subject to talk about death but when you can use a platform that you can make things accessible and educational and sometimes funny and you know mm. heartfelt and sincere that's how we're really able to reach people the best i think yeah mm. it's such a uh, it's it's uh i i remember somebody uh i had this conversation once i feel like we were talking about maybe a green burial with Maybe it was with Caitlin Dowdy, or maybe it was something. Maybe it was offline, uh, but around that. And I, um, when I think of, when I think of this, um, I think of it. It really makes me. Death is obviously very challenging for everybody, no matter what, no matter how, no matter how uh, experienced you are with it, no matter how many times you've dealt with it, it's always going to be hard when you face it. Um, in your family or when it's approaching for yourself. And I think that there, like the, there's like, there are some, there are like varying healthy ways of, of making us feel like ex bringing on a feeling of acceptance that somebody is gone, but also that they are still there with us in a way. And I feel like and this is that this comes from my background of being involved in yoga and sort of talking about energy and everything like i like knowing that that is that it's like hey you're the, you're you're in the soil like you're there like you're being a part of everything that's happening like you are really returned energetically mm -hmm. to the life cycle of the planet is is really cool and very kind of like grandiose mm. and magical in a way um i don't know i just that just like seems very uh it seems very productive yeah yeah and useful and uh and i think that's that's like really cool what like considering the way that a lot of people especially over here in the west feel about death um you know we're we're a very death phobic society um when you're at like dinner parties and stuff and people say what do you do for a living and you're like well i compost humans um you know like there are they like what's the reactions that you get are people just floored you know and 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 like specifically like when you're when you're telling this to people who their their preconceived notions of what death is is very much sort of locked into that traditional um you know traditional burial traditional funeral sort of uh, protocol like what kind of reactions do you get from folks well, you know, we're not really here to convert traditionalists. I think that's the first thing that I would say is that we're mostly an alternative for cremation families, right? Mm. So these are people who, you know, if you're going to be embalmed and you're going to be placed in a casket and buried, those plans are probably made and and it's something you feel strongly about. Um Usually I introduce myself as a mortician. I feel like that I don't lead with I compost people. <laughs> that's just, um, Jer's just, Jer's just saying what he would say if he yeah, was in your shoes. That's right. That's right. What do you do for a living? I compost humans. <laughs> it leads that direction. Yeah, sir. totally. So, you know, and, and actually we've had a lot of those conversations because I do a lot of outreach to the traditional funeral industry professionals. So these are people who believe mm. very strongly in what they do. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I've definitely sat down. I've had uh, wonderful conversations. I've had people come at me with just like aggressive questioning. And because I'm an open book, it usually goes very well for me. Um, <laughs> and yeah, if I'm at the dinner table. I am usually at the dinner table with other funeral people. So. <laughs> what what are some of the questions that you get? Like, what are some of the counter counter argument, maybe counter argument is a strong word to use, but 
what are some of the things that maybe pushback? That, that, yeah, the know? pushback that you mm. that you get from from somebody, I um, especially I guess it, somebody who's in the industry as well. That um, that yeah, like what are they saying? I think they assume there might be a lack of reverence because of so many like articles and things claiming that it's like food scraps or something to that effect. Mm. Um, mm. Part of how Return Home has built its its you know ethos is on showing reverence for the person, and and you know we have one of the highest standards of care of any funeral home that I've been to because I have a super high standard of care, and I demand that of the staff around me because these people are in their most vulnerable place when, and that's the decedents and it's their families both. Um, so, you know, I think proving yourself to be a serious professional who works the same exact way as every other funeral professional, except the end result is different. Um, I think helps validate the reverence behind it all, because yeah. I, that's really the biggest pushback um, that in the timeline. But I've got to tell you, I, our process takes around 60 days because we are letting the body break down naturally in that yeah. environment. Um, and it gives me 60 days to be a resource to that family and to take them by the hand through their grief and really lead them through their grief journey. Mm get them, you know, the paperwork help that they need, get them the estate closing and the insurance help. Before I felt like I would, I would maybe do a call, a house call on a Sunday, I'd meet with the family Monday, we'd have a memorial service or service Friday, and I'm sending them home with an urn and DCs, death certificates. I feel like I've done a great job. Um, whereas now the time that it takes, which has been kind of a pushback from some, it just makes me a better facilitator of their needs at the yeah. end of the day. And I feel like I'm more closely connected to them. Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. I've always been so blown away by how fast, like there's something about a death that almost like brings not, and, and like outside of the, like the, how shitty it is, there's like an anxiety that I feel like comes about because I, like when I hear that somebody has died in somebody else's family, like a, like a, like a very peripheral death, I go, oh man, that's stressful. That that's like it's. There's a lot to do, and and it seems like it all just like, do do do. Like it's just happens so fast, and especially like, especially when that death comes when there hasn't been sort of discussion on on what the plan will be. If you haven't sorted that, if out you haven't sorted that stuff out, you know, like that, like you could die on a Monday and be like buried or cremated by Friday. Mm -hmm. I mean, that just seems like, wow, you yeah. are really I, like when I hear you say 60 days, I go, oh, that sounds, that sounds, yeah, that sounds like there's a lot more time to process the mo one of the most yeah. challenging things that you might ever deal with yeah. in mm -hmm. order. And then, and then be able to, and then be able to be in a more centered, um, you know, more, present more, more present yeah. state when it is time to, uh, yeah you know, to, to whatever, whatever, ultimately wherever you're putting the remains. Um, that sounds, that sounds really nice to me. Yeah. I'm, I'm super curious about the, like the actual process of termination. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I saw the video, um, on your website, um, about, or on your YouTube channel about it. And it's, it's really, really interesting, uh, to, you know, to see the vessel, to, to hear it explain of how, like how the process works. Um, can you give us like a rundown on like, you know, I die to today and, uh, and my family's like, we're going, we're going the termination route. What does that look like from, from step one to, you know, step, step 10? Yeah. Well, again, it doesn't matter where you are. People call us, um, we're available 24 seven. So we don't have an answering service. It's one of our staff who's going to answer either me, Katie or Jake. 
Um, we guide that family through the, the what we call first steps or next steps, which are after someone's passed away. It depends where they pass away and how, but we dispatch basically the call. Uh, if the family wants to bring their loved one into our care, we make those arrangements. If they uh, don't want and are completely hands off and want us to take over, we just, you know, come bring the person into our care like any other funeral home. Uh, we file for the necessary permits, death certificates. We proceed with the terramation once we have all those things lined out. And the terramation is essentially um, an eight foot by three and a half by three and a half foot vessel. We fill it halfway full of straw, alfalfa, and sawdust in a mixture um, that we also moisten with water because the moisture level inside of the vessel really matters. Mm -hmm. um, we lay the person on their bed of organics and we make them kind of like a little cradle and a pillow. So it's really cool how we can kind of give it that. It's not a casket feel, but we can make it feel like they're cozied in. Um, we do bathe everyone and give them a compostable garment because regular clothing cannot go through our process successfully. Oh, it yeah. will inhibit the process. What's the what's the the garment made of? It's just like pressed cotton. Actually, mm. my mom makes them. Oh. Um, and so it's very simple. Like if you went up and picked and then spread the cotton ball thin. Mm. Um, and then we add like wildflower seeds and things like that so that they're in the compost. We don't know that those survive, but it just feels good to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and then after that, the family, you know, they can join us for the bathing. They can join us for final goodbyes after we have the person in the vessel. But ultimately, when it's all said and done, we place the remaining organics on top of the person. So they're kind of cozied in between the two layers. And then we place them on our racking system where they stay for around 30 days, depending on their body makeup. And that is the time when the body is breaking down. And uh, we used uh, alfalfa because it's nitrogen rich and the microbes inside of the gut that digest your food are the same microbes that break your body down after you die. Wow. And uh, we just use that, that science, like if someone fell over in the forest and just became one with the earth, we just have it in that contained vessel that's optimized with the right temperature, the right moisture level and the right oxygen flow through to make sure that process is a uh, speed up quite a bit. Mm. What, like, so what, cool. is, what is the, I'm curious about the temperature, you know, like, uh, is it, does it get real hot in that box or, um, like what is like, what's happening in there temperature wise while that, while that process is happening? Yeah. So the state of Washington requires a minimum of 131 degrees for, uh, for 48 hours, I believe 72 hours. Um, our vessels get up to about 160 degrees and they stay there for anywhere from, you know, six to 10 days. Um, and then what we notice is, is the temperature will fall. Uh, that means that anywhere that the organics were touching the body, that energy is kind of used up. And so we go to a rotator. It's an external rotation, much like a, a praying mantis. It kind of opens its arms and closes its arms around the vessel and then rotates. And what that does is it equalizes and redistributes the moisture within, and then we'll see another spike in temperature. Huh. The way that we know that the terramation is complete and that there's just bones inside of the vessel is when we go to that rotation and the temperature does not spike and it just stays mm. ambient. That wow. is so cool. That's so interesting. How do you like, how do what's the process of controlling the temperature? You know, like how do you get it up to that a hundred plus uh, degrees for that amount of time? Or is that just, is that just the natural process of what actually happens in a box with, you know, uh, alfalfa and, and, and uh, you know, like organics and a body? You got it. That's right. We don't wow. use any inoculants. We don't add anything. We don't push heat through the vessel. Wow. If anything, we push air. Uh, it's a lot like a fire. It's like once it begins to heat up, it pulls in its own oxygen. So we don't even have to push air through the vessel. Um, but if we do <laughs> notice that the temperature's dropping and, and we can increase the oxygen um, if we know that it's not, you know, quite time for that right. to be Place and then we'll see the temperature rise. Um, but yeah, the, the straw insulates, the alfalfa has nitrogen and those microbes just love it and they break down quickly wow. and it causes that rise in temperature. Cool. Yeah. I, I mean, this, this might be a bit of a funny question, but like, what about, what about the smell? Is there, is there like a, is there kind of a, 
you know, because I'm I'm picturing I'm you know I'm picturing someone falling in the woods and and I mean, degrading over time. Is never really like the the nicest smelling. I mean, yeah, like, right. Like I'm no just like what. like I think of the you know I think of the the word rot comes to mind where it's like you know you put a piece of meat out and, and just let it sit out, it starts to decay, it starts to rot. Um, which that's not a very nice smell. But like so so what is there like it you know does the does the uh, um return home like warehouse like have a a very distinct smell to it or is there something that you guys do to kind of mitigate that we'd like to say it's okay to decay yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um we have what's called octopus octopus is our hvac system mm. um it's got 74 arms that attach to each vessel we have 74 vessels and what this does is it allows for both the off-gassing and the condensate to be able to be released into a contained environment so that hvac system allows the air to flow through to a biofilter in the back of our facility that biofilter is full of wood chips covered in nitrogen rich chicken poop because Ooh. nitrogen likes to consume those odors and so so what happens is, is the more odor you push through this biofilter, the better job it actually does. Um, those wood chips get replaced every five years, but ultimately we are able to maintain an odorless facility. I think it smells like, I don't know, essential oils in here or something. Sure, yeah, sure. We, uh, we maintain an odorless facility by that amazing HVAC system, actually done wow. by the same people who did HVAC for SeaTac Airport. Um so top of the line, amazing cool. airflow. Basically, we're movers of oxygen. You know, I was gonna wow, I was gonna, so cool. As you were saying that, I was like, wow, this must be the HVAC system they use in all the in all the casinos in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah, because dude, everyone's yeah. smoking cigarettes, and but I can't smell it. Smells <laughs> like perfume. Yeah. I uh uh so so I I I I wanna cut like I'm I'm just I'm so fascinated by this. I think this is so neat. Um so so once the process is over. Um, uh, and you know, and the, 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 the person that was in there has now sort of become a part of the organics that were in that, in that vessel. Um, you were saying that like the bones are left. So what happens once that process is over? Um, what happens to the bones? Yeah. So we took the same science that takes place after cremation. So after cremation, the bones are swept out of the retort. They are pulverized um, after being sifted through for uh, metal, right? So you kind of sift through for metal, then you break the bone down, and that's what people receive back as ashes mm. um, are those ground bone particles. And so what we did is we created basically a conveyor system. So it's bigger. It fulfills the purpose of basically sorting. So we're going through um, upending the vessel and making sure that anything that was inside of the body that was inorganic, which can include implants like titanium rods and yeah. screws and stints can also include things people don't like to tell us about like silicone and you know yeah. so what we do is we go through manually our staff and we um, sort through anything that needs to be removed that's inorganic we recycle everything that we can and of course everything else goes to medical waste and then the bone and the compost all go through a proprietary grinding mechanism essentially that breaks everything down down just like that pulverizer after a cremation mm. into uniform pieces or you know uniform looking compost and then that's ultimately uh it rests because the bones have at this point become porous and it actually allows the microbes to continue kind of consuming that porous bone so any bone that might be in the vessel is usually consumed within what we call the resting phase which is the second month of the process um, and it is after the bone is broken down where they rest for 30 days. And then after that, they're returned to their family because they've cooled in temperature mm. and their moisture is a lot less. It went from like 50 to maybe 15 percent. And uh, and at that time, we're able to return people home. Cool. Wow. I, the, to the you know, to the point of all the pieces that are in organic. Um, I just my my a couple of years ago, my dog died uh, Bigby and we had Bigby cremated. And, uh, it was very recently I, 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 I had Bigby he's, he, right now. He's in my closet and I'm, you know, I was, I'm trying to figure out what do I do with Bigby's ashes? You know, I, I, I might take him and spread his ashes with my nephews. And I was thinking about the ashes one day when I was at home and I was like, you know what? I, I've never actually looked at them. 
I'm going to, I'm going to take him out and take a look like what's Bigby looking like today. And I, so I took it, took out the bag and, and you know, he was a big dog. He was like 120 pound mastiff. So big boy, big bag, like heavy bag of just dust. Um, and, and the first thing that shocked me was like how, how white it was. Like, it's very, it's like, it looks like chalk. Like it was just very white. I, I was expecting it to be very gray. It was much whiter than I thought. And I was like, Oh, this is very neat. So I, I wanted, I just like, I, I needed to, I, I wanted to put my hands in. I was like, I want to feel like, I want to feel big B again. So I was like sifting my hands through and, uh, and I ended up pulling out his like artificial knee, like his, it, there was like, um, it was like a plate with like screws. He had two knee replacements. So I pulled out both of these plates with the screws and I was like, Whoa, these are still in here. So I was like, Oh, these are, that's so fucking cool. So I dusted it off and I was like, maybe I'll like build something and use the screws to like, you know, make something. I thought it was really neat. My, my partner was mortified. Um, oh, yeah, and, you should and, like make a table or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's what like, honestly, That'd I was like, so cool. make like a little, you know, the, the screws are, they're, 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 they're usable. Like they're, yeah. they're perfectly, they're great. And the little plates are like, you could probably use it to support something. I don't know. <laughs> make a lock out of it. Or like a, <laughs> but anyway, so, so all, where, where I'm going with this is um, I've actually never talked to a, a mortician. Um, it sounds I, like I, somebody fucked up. Well, I've never asked a mortician this. I'm, I'm sure with pets, it's like they just put the pet in, they cremate the pet, and then whatever's that left, they just, you know, like sweep it into a bag and there you go. But with humans, in like the more traditional sense of, say, cremation or something, um, is, is that a possibility of like, of like the inorganic still being within the, the, you know, the box that you get with, with Nana that's like, that was cremated, like, you get Nana's knee replacement that's still in the box or because this, this sorting process you talk of, I, I, I was like, oh, I wonder, is that, is that happening all over when, when, when anyone gets cremated or, mm-hmm. you know, it should be certainly, you know, each state has its own laws, rules mm. and regulations. But my understanding is that those metals are always removed and then recycled and, you know, actually the funeral home receives the funds from that recycling and our firm donates. I think it's pretty typical for the funeral home to donate that, um, you know, precious metal refining money to, to a cause that they believe in. Um, but it's supposed to be removed. I mean, all I can think in your case is that they don't assume animals have replacements, right? Right, I feel like that's kind of a less common. I mean, if you are cremating somebody who's 60 or older, they're probably going to have something foreign in their body. Right. Yeah. I I mean, when I get cremated, I got a, I got a big old plate in my collarbone like that's, and that ain't going nowhere. But you know, I was, I was thinking like, if, if I don't know, I would, if I got cremated, which that's not the route I'm going, but if I did, I would kind of want them to leave it in there and like, you know, like maybe Kira can like use my plate and my screws to build something. <laughs> like, I don't know. I feel People like I want to like, for them to be do they? All the oh time. yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like yeah. not uncommon at all. Mm-hmm. I'm and going, I'm going this, I'm, this is, this is my new way. Terramation's is pretty cool. Like this, I'm, is, this is, this is up there for me. I know that like a sky burial is probably not allowed for me, mostly just because of where I'm we live. I'm almost certain that's not. Legal. Yeah. That's, I mean, I'd probably have to move somewhere and also uh, convert to like a, an, another denomination. Um, so I, I can't imagine from your current, from my, from your, from my current atheistic ways. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, I, uh, one thing that I am curious about when it comes to, uh, terramation, um, what are the costs associated? You know, if someone's listening to this right now and they're thinking, all right, you know what? I've been thinking about putting together a death plan. Um, and, and this is something that I'm, that I want to sort of look into what, what could they expect when it comes to the cost associated with something like terramation. And I think especially in relation to like, in, in relation to cremation sure, or, yeah, or, yeah. or, or, or uh, I don't know how much cost of buries. I have no idea. I got no idea. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I don't either. I don't know much <laughs> about the cost of any of it. Nope, yeah. Nope. <laughs> it can be a lot. You know, I'm in an area of the country where I'd say things might be a little more, um, Cremation in our area is roughly $3,000, $2,500. If you start adding services, you're looking at about $5,000. Yeah. Um, you do find your, you know, $795 cremation, direct cremation providers. And it sounds terrible, but I do believe there's a lot of you kind of get what you pay for. Yeah. You're getting metal back if you, if you go with seven ninety five. dollars I think I'm, you get the bare minimum, you know, it's, yeah. it's straightforward. It is what it is, but it's mostly just a, you know, at that point, kind of a disposal company. It's not right, as right. much of a, like, you know, 
I would question some of the reverence, right? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but for us, uh, Terramation's $5,000. So uh, no matter where you are in the United States, we charge $5,000. And then, of course, if you're from a different place, it's usually about $2,000 to arrange for transportation to and from our facility uh, for the process to take place and then to go home afterward. I worked for a firm where our lowest uh you know, cost for a burial plot, just the plot, no services, no casket, no liners was $3,000. Yeah. So, and that was the least I'm talking. The average was probably around $8,000 for like something with it, something with a view. Exactly. I mean, (laughs) if you want the view, you're talking like 15, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, You're climbing. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) there there, there are, there are a lot of, yeah. Burials a lot. Like you've got, you've got the casket, you've got the things that, that you've got like the, the casket, being decked out you've got the exterior of the casket you got the interior of the casket you've got the two, the head the headstone you've got the location you've got you know there's so the much process more. the embalm the, the, the whole process the yeah services, the mm-hmm. outer burial container so we yeah. embalm people put them in a casket then put the casket inside of a rebar and concrete lined you know, right. shell so that when the heavy machinery drives over it it doesn't hurt the casket beneath it you know yeah. so there's burial can just be extremely expensive. We don't see that as a cremation doesn't typically have that happen. Mm-hmm. Um, but burials by far and away the most, I feel like for in comparison to burial, cremation is very inexpensive, really. Totally. Wow. That's so yeah. wild. I, uh, I, I didn't really think about it that way. And uh, I, I've never, well, I guess I've, I guess I've never really thought about death in terms of cost really. Um, but then when you, you know, when you, when you, when you do, yeah, I mean, some some things you you kind of immediately go, oh wow, yeah, burial, wow, there's so much involved. Yeah, there's so much, there's so many, so many layers to it that yeah, the cost obviously adds up very quickly. Um, as a mortician, like, how do you, how did you get into this line of work? Was this was this a, a business like in the family kind of business that you sort of found yourself in, or what was the what was the thing in your life that led you down this this line of work? There were two things. So I think um, I grew up in rural Montana and uh, my dad was a beat cop and he would work nights and my mom was a cosmetologist during the day. And then in the evenings, she would go to the local morgue and she would do hair and makeup for people for their viewings for the next day. Um, so I was exposed very young because my mother would take her with me to the uh, firm that she went to that night to do hair and makeup. I would just sit kind of up on the counter and maybe color, mind my own business. Um, but she specifically mentions this story of like a mop or a broom falling over and her being really alarmed and me looking at her and being like, mom, she's not going to hurt you. Um, I was maybe six years old, so I had a really good comprehension of life and death at a young age. Mm. Um, And then when I was a senior in high school, I took an anatomy and physiology class. It was an AP class where we restored a skull from bear. We used erasers to kind of measure the depth of the face based on the sex and the ethnicity of the person. And I put this person's face back together again. And I just had an incredible knack for reaching someone's likeness without even having a photograph provided. Wow. Um, so I just had this this gift that I felt like I was given that not everybody kind of has and not everybody has the stomach for, quite frankly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that experience of restorative art really propelled me into it um, and made the decision something that was was a for sure for me. Cool. That's yeah. very, very cool. I love it. I love the origin stories of of people who are in the death trade in any in any fashion, because it's always I mean, I I think I'm yet to find someone who hasn't had some sort of like previous life experience that drew them to it. You know, it's, it's like, it's rare that you just find someone that goes, I don't know. I graduated high school, didn't really know what to do for a while, went to Europe for a couple of months and then came home and said, I'm going to open a funeral home. (laughs) Yeah. It's not, there's usually like some kind of tie. There's like something drawing them in. And uh, I always find it really, really interesting. I I also find it interesting how I feel like everybody that we've everybody that we've had the opportunity to talk to that works in that has worked in funeral homes, has worked in burial, mm. cremation, um, caring for caring for for you know um, the deceased. Like everybody seems just so level. Yeah. Um. I don't know. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's not like I'm working with a huge sample size here, but it's like, it's pretty uniform like, yeah. across the board. Everyone seems, yeah. and I think, 
I mean, it must come with a a sort of uh, ne- a sort of uh, necessity that there's a a degree of like equanimity and and calm, I guess, when you are you know working with not not the not the people who are deceased, but I think especially with the families, with mm. the with the people that mm-hmm. with the with the people that have lost somebody. You know that is yeah. a that's obviously a big part of of the of the the line of work, yeah. and that takes a lot of care and a lot of you know skill in terms of being able to walk somebody through what's going on in their lives. So mm-hmm. yeah, anyway, everybody's so everybody seems so. so great. It's a thoughtful job. It's a thoughtful yeah. job, not one you can go into mindlessly. Mm. Um, and they call us the ducks right? Like on the surface, we're just chilling. We're like super calm, but then beneath the surface, we're just paddling for our lives at every given moment. Like that is your standard funeral professional. And, and we're so resourceful and we have so many connections and, you know, we can be so useful to people. And that's, I always joke about if you ever need a resource in your local area, just call your local funeral home and be like, I need a notary or I need, you know, X, Y, and Z. And they will, if they can't find someone, they will know someone who can help. Yeah. It's mm. so, yeah, yeah, we're all, uh, I like being part of this group and it's such a small industry that a lot of us know each other. So yeah. that's interesting. I'm going to remember that. Mm-hmm. Um, again, folks return home, um, is the, the organization that we're talking about here, uh, that do this amazing work. Returnhome.com is the website. It's a, a lovely website. Um, you know, there's a great little video there that gives you a tour of the space. It looks beautiful. It looks serene. Um, and, uh, this is, I mean, just this conversation has been really, really lovely. Brie, before we, before we wrap, I'm curious, um, you know, as someone who is in the death trade, someone who who is around death, uh, constantly someone who I, I mean, I'm assuming is probably significantly less death phobic than most people. Um, what is, what are your thoughts on death? And, and, you know, when your time comes, what would you like to see happen in your care? Um, when, when you, uh, cross over to whatever comes next. Yeah, no death phobia here, man. I wake up every day, just kind of like I'm here again. And every day above ground is a good one. That's how I've always explained it. Um, I think for me, I love the idea of, any way that my body can return organic matter to the earth. Um, I just love it. So, you know, cremation is not maybe my favorite thing, but there are these awesome reefs you can get that you can put cremated remains in and you can put it in a reef area that's struggling and you can, you know, build up the flora in that area underwater. And I think that's Whoa, amazing. Right. That's so cool. what's that called? Is there a name for that? Um, I think it's like coral or reef memorials or something to that effect. Cool. Um, but they're amazing. I love burials at sea specifically. You were talking about sky burial. Um, mm. I like any way that the person really gives back because I feel like we take so much from our planet every single day. And the least we can do is just give a little back in the end. And, you know, we, I don't know, you were talking about energy living on. And I think the thing that makes me I, I want to be terramated and I'm not saying it as a return home employee. I'm saying it because I had a family come in here probably two, maybe three months ago. Her mother passed away from across the United States, your region, actually. She flew with her mom over here. She spent three days at our facility. And on the third day, and granted, I, I mean, keep in mind, I've been doing this for a year. So I've seen a lot. On the third day, I walked in and she had her arms like around her mom's vessel. Mm. And I was like, what are you doing? You know, she could feel the vessel warming up Mm. and she felt like it was like a warm embrace from her mother. And she would have never, ever felt that again with any other disposition, right? That I can like, and I know them all. I'm talking about like mummification and stuff. I know all the disposition methods. And terramation is so beautiful because the energy lives on in just such a tangible way. Mm. It's a run your hands through it, final product. It's a see life live on memorialization. But even at the beginning of the process, you can feel your loved one's energy actually there. So 
any way you go back to the earth, I believe in it. For me, I want to be terramated because I just love the idea of, well, and you saw the video of our tour. I definitely have a plant problem. Um, <laughs> I love the idea of my family being able to see my life live on around them mm. in their home or on the property that some of my family still owns in Montana or whatever that might look like. Mm, cool. Well, Bree, this has been uh, really eye-opening, and uh, we we really appreciate you taking time in your schedule today to sit down with us and give us a bit of insight into Terramation, what it's all about. Uh, you know, I feel like uh, you've just opened up another door for for at least myself and Taylor to yeah. to consider when it comes to the end of our lives. Which I'm working on my will right now. There you go. Yeah, this is uh, you know this is very uh, very timely. Uh, thank you so much. This has been a real treat. It was a pleasure being on, guys. And anytime you want to talk death, you know, you know how to get a hold of me now. So sweet. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you. That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it, and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Sick. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.